This is the Radio Check Podcast, life in the concert touring industry. Good afternoon, Brother Chris. What's going on, man? Hi, Matt. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Oh, well, I'm just peachy here. Just, um, but I, I think I can't, you know, part, part of the podcast and these opening statements and some of the things we talk about, even though we're trying to do great things with our guests and whatnot, there's a bit of a historical kind of record going on here because we are in the era of COVID. Um, as, as all of our listeners know, and everybody knows, um, this podcast was born out of COVID, but like, shit, man. Um, my heart goes out to a lot of people in the industry because this whole Delta variant is kind of screwing things up and I think it's screwing you up. So it's, uh, we have this whole kind of thing of like, wow, we're about to get out there and there's a lot of excitement yeah. and energy. And then yeah. I just hear the, the, the balloon is deflating. So well, what's know, going on in your world? I think a lot of production managers, tour managers, managers, we're all kind of like-minded at the beginning of the pandemic thinking, okay, let's just ride this out. Let's just wait for the pandemic to finish. You know, we'll get all get vaccinated and we'll start up again. And that was pretty much the thought process. And it looked like it was going that way. And then, you know, agents and managers and they're starting to book shows thinking, okay, we're out of this. And uh, shows are on sale, shows are planned, people are in pre-production and then the Delta variant hits what exactly we were trying to avoid. The, the thing we were trying to avoid is we're confronted with. So we're trying to deal with that now. And unfortunately shows are canceling. I've had two shows cancel yesterday. They were one-offs for me, but you know, they were still on my calendar and things are starting to go away. But, you know, not to start this conversation, but you know, vaccines are up, you know, there's going to be a six week turnaround from people getting their second shot and the two weeks of gestation or whatever it is but i i think this is still going to turn around i really do i really yeah well i have to i remain an optimist i can't let this defeat me well certainly not and um you know i'm just going to use this second as a psa because i am in healthcare and i've been in it a long time for a long time and for those listeners who might be um vaccine hesitant it's i don't know how this turned into a political discussion but um the thing is is vaccines work um, everybody on this planet, for the most part, has got vaccines in them because, uh, you know, ever since we're children. And the truth is, is that variants will continue to arise as long as people are around that are not vaccinated. So get yeah. vaccinated, stop the variants, get back to work. Let's get this pandemic behind us. Let's get the, the dogma out of here. I mean, this is, um, it's really unfortunate. There's just a lot of misinformation out there and it's yeah. really, it's, it's really I, I terrible. Agree. So, I agree. yeah. So, but anyway, right. let's, um, have, fun. let's you know, have fun now. Yeah, let's have fun. Yeah. So, but you know, you, you talked about a second ago about as production managers and, and how we're planning and, and strategizing to making sure that people get back out on the road safely. Um, so today we've got quite the lineup here and all I can say is that we've got a whole room full of production managers here, I do believe. So, um, yeah. you know, what, the other kind of funny gaggle. thing is we like to be called yeah. gaggles of production managers and multiple production managers are a gaggle. Yeah, we're, okay. actually, we're actually production manglers. There you go. There you go. Well, that, that leads us to our introduction since we're since yeah. we started. You know, today we've yeah, so. got two production managers on who happen to be brothers. So instead of you know wondering who they've worked for, it's like who haven't they worked for between the two of them? I mean, as was probably 
80 to 100 credits between the two of them. So it's, it's easier to define who they've not worked for. But anyway, um, coming from the UK, we've got Mr. Wob Roberts and his brother, Chris Roberts, coming from the Nashville area. Welcome, fellas. Hey, Chris. Uh, welcome. Welcome. Thanks for, thanks for doing this, man. You know, like I, well, I, I thanks I, for asking us. Oh yeah. I, I wanted to have, you know, I, like I said earlier, I would have had either, either of you on individually, but there was something special about having you on together, you know, sibling um, rival. Yeah. 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 Well, we, neither of, well, we've not toured together, any of us. So I don't have that personal history. We can't talk about that one time in the back lounge where, you know, you did this. So we, we, I well, want to have the, you guys. Neither, neither have we, actually. For all the fact that we've both had the same job for 15, 20 years, neither of us have actually worked with each other in any capacity. Really? Uh, Never since, crossed each other on a festival? Since, oh, yes. Nope. Yeah, we crossed we, each we, other. We've, we've crossed each other, but we've yeah. never worked together. The last time we actually worked together, I think we were in... I think we were in a band together back when we were teenagers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Either Achilles oh, or funny. Red Line, one of the two. I think it was Achilles. There you go. Well, how often, how often do you guys see each other? I know you, you, you don't live in the same continent, but how often do you see each other? Every couple of years, maybe, if we're lucky, you know. Yeah, if, if he's home. I'm on the road. If I'm home, he's on the road. Uh, we, we've even had the situation where we've been in the same city, both working, right. and not been able to actually get to to see one another. There's actually a funny um, story there. That is a that well, is a story. funny story there. I'm actually, if I can jump ahead, can I do this? Please, Chris? please. Yeah, That's yeah, what this yeah. podcast is about. I'm trying to get you guys to open up. I, I, I'm on out on a run. Actually, it was New Kids on the Block and we're doing a theatre run, and we're in Dublin, and I'm waking up on the bus, and I, you know, get up, have my coffee, and you know, I'm like, okay, I've got to go into the venue now. And I open the door, and I get down off the bus, I close the door, and this guy on a bike rides up, comes up to me, stops, he goes, hello, kidder, how are you? <laughs> and it's what, he's going to the stadium to do 1D, and I'm going into the little theatre to do New Kids. And it was like just so random in the middle of nowhere in Dublin. I, there he was. Did you know each yeah, other were I, there or was that yeah, com a complete? I, 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 was, I, I'd had a heads up from Andy Franks. I'd had a heads up from Andy Franks that they, they were in the, bill, in the area. And I cycle into work. I was cycling into work. Love um, I'd, I'd bike everywhere. And there's this beat the street bus coming over the bridge. And I just went like, and I saw Franksy in the front seat. And I, I just Franksy stopped the bus. On that. Franksy was sitting in That's the front right. seat. And it was just like, oh my God, it's Franksy. And so Franksy went and woke Chris up. And, uh, <laughs> awesome. and that was, that, that's exactly the sort of situation we had. Yeah. We're, awesome. I've seen one another. We've, we've actually been in Toronto for four days together. I've been on, in the stadium doing something at, you've been down you were down at the uh i was at the shed at, doing the, the shed, festival yeah doing, and we were both in rehearsals and so we were both starting at seven o'clock in the morning finishing at two o'clock in the morning and we ended up in that four days getting 25 minutes in a hotel lobby and that was that's it. all we managed to get together oh wow we're <laughs> yeah. still brothers you are you are <laughs> exactly. you are they're, they're, I, I, you know, we're five minutes 
we're five minutes into this, and I can tell there's a love there. Absolutely. Oh no. Do you, do you do you guys do you guys talk often? Do you do you bounce ideas off each other, or do you? you no, know, I think we've actually lived our own separate ways. We do things differently. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we. I'll tell you something, Chris. To be honest, COVID has definitely brought Wob and I closer together. So, yeah, Matt and I as well. That's the one, Matt that's the one good well. thing. You know, and it's not like that we don't want, we've never, we have issues or anything. It's just, you know, he's had his own life. I've had my own life. And, you know, we connect every now and again and just check up on each other and make sure right. we're both still breathing and that kind of thing. But I think this whole COVID thing, one thing that's really come out of it, it actually brought me back into family again, because I, I've always been kind of a loner. Yeah, as it were, and yeah. uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Wal, but I, I think we've, well, we've always we've, we've always said that that if you actually you can have, you can type a you can type a three page email to Chris and you'll get a one letter reply. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get K. Yeah, yeah. I've okay. done this. I've done this. I've done that, and I'll just get letter K back. Okay, yeah. <laughs> fine, no problem. But awesome. but that's but but that's. You know, and that, that he'll he'll do that with mum as well. It's uh, it's not just me. It, it, that's just the way Chris can be at times, and and that's the way he's grown up. And this, I've, uh, we, you know, we connect every now and then, um, and and we have a, we have a good good old chat. But but for the most part, he's led his life. I've led my life. the family's quite disparate. I mean, mum lives in Texas. She married uh, an American um, uh, uh, when uh, after the first Gulf War, before the second, well, uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and lived in America. But and we've never, you know, it, it, it's not mum's not been the person that we ring every week anyway, because uh, you know um, the, the the old adage of you know you never call. Well, that goes both ways. So, you know, mum would never call us. We would never call her. Dad was the same. We, 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 so it was, it was always very a disparate sort of, there was the love there between the family, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a, one of those, uh, like we have to talk three times a day to both parents sort of right, family. Right, right. It was very much a question of like, right, I've left home and, you know, and I'll visit dad every now and then and I'll call every now and then. And, yeah. And mum living in America meant that I could only, I usually only ever visited when I was on tour. Right. right. Uh, well, you know, this story sounds very familiar. I'm, you're, 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 I'm, you're, I'm listening to someone tell the story myself, you know, how we went on the road when we were young and we kind of disappeared and kind of left everything behind. Right. You know, I, 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 I wish I was a better family member, but, you know, I'm the guy who doesn't remember anybody's birthday or, you know, I mean, it's... Hello. it's and it's not malice, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I know what it is. Uh, but you're right, this COVID thing, we're becoming better brothers and sisters and, and parents and, and, and everything. Absolutely. Hey, let me ask, what's 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 the age difference between you two? Two years. <clears throat> two years, yeah. Two years. Well, you were born in 61, I was 62, right? I was 60. 60, you were. There you go, see? Oh, That's oh, how well we know each other. Yeah. 60 and 62. <laughs> you all thought. I thought it was 61. No, it's 23 well, how can you be two years apart and born at 61, 62? Well, listen, that's why I'm not an accountant, okay? All right, all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, 23 months between us. Yeah. Okay, so, so 
I'm guessing, Wob, you you got your taste to the music industry first. Uh, but about the same time, actually. Yeah. In fact, in fact, technically, technically, Chris started first because we got into the music industry. I I used to play in the school band. Uh, Chris didn't. Um, I'd always wanted a bass guitar, um, and I got one for my birthday. Chris got a drum kit. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. You're wrong. You're wrong. You got the bass guitar first, and I got really jealous. Yeah. All right. And I thought, you had a band. And I remember... I didn't have a band. No, I no, didn't no, have a band. Well, well, well you, you were playing with some friends, okay? Down. Okay. You didn't have a drummer. And I remember being in the garden shed, and you guys were messing around, and there was, for some reason, there was, like... You know those things that you put in drawers and you put all the cutlery in? You yeah. know those things? And it was full of cutlery and it was on the side. And I started, I picked up two knives and started tapping. Next thing I said to my parents was, I want a drum kit. And that's when the drum kit came along. You I, 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 remember this, I remember this slightly differently because I remember you, you, Neil Ellison, uh, and Mike Grady playing together in Neil's bedroom. Mate. And I came along and started playing bass, and that's how Carnaby was formed. Yes, that's how that was formed, but you were playing bass way before I played drums, trust me. Trust me. Okay. All right, okay. I can remember when I got my first kit, the Delray Green Sparkle. Yeah, oh. I, remember I remember sitting up all night putting black plastic over it because you wanted a black drum kit. That's right. That's right. Uh, the mod <laughs> the modeling plastic, the, the the plastic film that you put on models. That's right. I covered yeah. his I, co I covered his drum kit in that to make it a black drum kit. That's right. That's so, right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. There's so, a lot of love between us. There's a lot no, of love no, between. No, us. I, I love it. This is this is this is this is good stuff. Okay. So, getting into the the music industry, Chris, you you got into the industry first, from what Rob says. How did that happen? What were you doing? I, 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 Again, the actual professional side of it? No, that was me. Yeah, the playing track. side of it was very, very, uh, that was definitely at school yeah. where we were, um, uh, where, where, where we messed around. But I, I started playing with um, uh, two guys, um, two professional, semi-professional musicians, and I started going into clubs uh, in a trio, uh, club trio. Uh, playing bass with a guy called Martin Gerrard and a guy called Eddie Goldsack. Yeah, Eddie Goldsack. Um, and we had a, th a trio called Sound Investment, and we'd play around the Labour clubs and conservative clubs of the north of England, uh, doing three-part harmonies and playing cover bands and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the turning professional into the industry, I moved to London um, I moved to London and started working uh, in theatre. Um, and from working in theatre, I started working in sound. I actually answered a, a, an advert in NME for a sound engineer. Wow. Uh, and um, started working with a, a guy called Bob Lopez, who's still in the business. He works for Brit Row, or he used to, last time I spoke to him. Um, and it was uh, Bob and Wob. Bob and Wob with the PA company. The, the PA company was called Ash Ashcan. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah, Ashcan PA, because they had they had Ask Tam and Task Am, who were two ah, both, okay. both both both. Yeah, Tam had Ask Tam, and um, uh, Task Am had Bob Doyle had Task Am, and Bob Lopez decided to call it Ashcan Music, <laughs> Ashcan PA. So, and um, and I start. This would be uh, early 80, 81. 182. Yeah, it was around about that time. I started, I, I, just, I moved to you know, stacking PA and running the snake and setting um, up microphones. And, and, doing in front, and doing front of house sound. Oh, okay. I, 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 I answered the engineer the engineer thing. So I got thrown in. Bob did monitors because that, that kept the gig. Because if it sounded good on stage, the band kept the... Uh, they kept like it. <laughs> and it really didn't matter what it sounded like out front. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> Okay, so you so you moved to London. You're doing so, Chris. How did you feel about your your brother moving to London? And and and, and that must have sounded like he went away and was oh, doing. No, I was like jealous, of, man. Oh, I was yeah. jealous. I, I I was like, damn, I've got to get down there too, you know. And I I kind of followed, but I was still playing in a band uh, bands at that point. And I moved down to London. I actually Wob gave me a room. Actually, three of us all shared uh, the three band members with me all shared uh, one of the bedrooms in the house and it was down in Tooting Beck yeah. and uh, basically Wob was off working doing uh, his theatre and his club stuff with his PA working for bands that I was I remember when you did the knack and I was like oh my god my Sharona you're doing the knack and I was like god I'm so jealous <laughs> you, 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 let, you let his whole band move in with you <laughs> Well, it, it, was, it was a house share. So it wasn't just, I, I was sharing, I had a room with my girlfriend. Chris had the downstairs back bedroom with his That's roommates. Right. There was a guy lived in the front bedroom. It was, it was basically, it was a two up, two down house. Right. There was a the guy in the front bedroom. bedroom on his own. And there was another couple living in the back bedroom. And it was like a student spot. It was, you know, fantastic. You know, down in Tooting. Um, and, uh, and 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 basically, one 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 two people moved out of the back bedroom. Chris said he wanted to come in, and they came down and you know started paying rent on on this this house that we we rented in uh, in, in two. Whenever we had the money, we paid rent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yes, you you yes. carry on. So you 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 cut your teeth as a sound guy. What was your next step? I couldn't see for the, yeah, well, the next step was uh, getting getting a job. Uh, we got a regular gig with a band called The Truth, doing the PA for a band called The Truth, um, who is Dennis Greaves, used to be Nine Below Zero, and then became Nine Below Zero again. Um, and we, um, Eddie, uh, no, um, Eric Simpson was the front of house engineer for, uh, for The Truth. And Bob used to do monitors, so... On truth gigs, I had I was basically just PA rigger, um, and they asked me to start setting up backline. So I set up the backline for the for, for the truth, and effectively, we stopped being a PA company and we started becoming the PA for the truth. And so I became the backline tech, and I put up, I was the sole backline tech. So I'd do drums, Hammond organ, two Vox AC thirties, uh, and 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 that was my my in you know into becoming uh, a professional crew member was basically becoming a backline tech for a you know for a, a, a band in the early 80s right so tour, so actually uh, regional touring around the uk 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, used, it, it, was, it used to be great. I mean, I, was, I remember I used to get £15 a show and a, a day used to start probably at about uh, nine o'clock in the morning where we'd load the truck of the PA and the back line and then we'd drive to wherever it was up in Hull or whatever. We'd do, we'd do the gig and then we'd drive all the way back to London and we'd finish at like three and four in the morning and that, that was 15 quid. You know, and, and that oh. was great money. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> I did the same thing. You know, and then yeah, you would was, drive the truck yeah, exactly. back. Exactly. Then you'd go unload we'd drive, the truck oh, back God. in the storage. I, yeah. We'd drive all the way back down. Yeah, I mean, this was pre... pre. Um, with the, I remember the first tour we ever did um, was... Um, we, we, it was all in um, guest houses. So you'd, um, you'd basically... You'd, you'd do the gig and then you'd go to a little old guest house in wherever you were, um, you know, Scarborough or the outskirts. Yeah, I remember, I'll never forget an experience in Manchester where we walked out of the hotel, the the guest house in the morning and the lady that was uh, the the, the owner of the guest house says, oh, are you boys leaving? That's a shame. I'm going to have to turn the sheets over again. <laughs> <laughs> it was the thing that got me. It was like, oh! oh, how funny. How funny. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think, and I, you know, of course, you, Rob, and, and Chris, we all know the production managers that are still in the industry. And, and I would say there's a lot of us who used to drive the truck who go back that far. Yeah. And I think that builds character. And I think it turned us into the people we are today. Absolutely. Firmly believe that. Firmly Absolutely. believe that. Starting, you know, starting from yeah. a small level and then and then working your way up. Okay, so so Chris, what was your your intro? Okay, Wob's on the road with the truth. What, he, what are you doing other, other than other than being you know jealous? Uh, well, <laughs> now don't don't paint me with that brush, but I was. But. Uh, I played in bands for a, a few more years, and I was in this one band. That in London? Was, in London. I was in this one band that was signed to Boku Music, which was ABBA's publisher, and it, it never really was going anywhere. Uh, and the bass player said to me, he said, hey, do you want to come and earn some money? I said, well, as long as it's not dodgy and I don't have to sell my body, yeah, sure, I'll come and do it. Uh, what little did you know? Well, well, <laughs> well I've, I've sold my soul now. Uh, he, uh, he said, there's this little crew in London that I do odd jobs for. Do you want to come and kind of work for those guys? And I said, yeah, I'll try it, whatever. So... He took me down. He got me on my first local crew gig, which happened to be there was a, a show at the Astoria. Was it the Astoria? Which where where was time playing? Wob. That's the Astoria. It was yeah. the Astoria. They had this hydraulic stage, and one of the hydraulics had gone on it. So they bought like ten of us local crew down to unload 15 tons of stage weights off the back of a flatbed lorry, put them onto the stage. Uh, they tested the hydraulics. And then we, nine hours later, we took these 15 tons of stage weights and put them back on the truck. Now, this is London, it's raining. I'm new, no gloves, rusty stage weights, raw knuckles at the end of it. And I'm going, do I really want to fucking do this? 
hence I went on to my next gig and the next one was like Hammersmith Odeon. We were, you know, just pushing boxes, doing that kind of thing. And then uh, there was a couple of stadium shows at Wembley Stadium, I remember, and I got asked to go and do that. And the first one was uh, Rod Stewart. Uh, one weekend so I, I did that and I saw these guys building it, it, it was the the times of scaffold towers and the the head blocks with the roof it wasn't the cranes and the stage ghost stuff and the simpler things that we do you know we see today and I thought oh that looks really neat so I thought not nothing of it uh, I got a call during the week to go the next week to do Queen uh, Wembley Stadium and do uh, just again, just little crew, you know, just humping boxes and doing what I'm told. Who was the, who was the labor company you were, who was hiring? It, the, there were two companies at the time. One was Stage Miracles and there was another one called uh, Show Stars, which Miracles used to call the Turtles because they thought we were always slow. <laughs> uh, and it was run by a guy called Graham Shaw. I mean, God bless him. Uh, I, I saw him not that long ago, actually, and he's still kicking and he's still doing it. But I got out, I went down and we're doing the Queen, you know, a scaffold loading, but, you know, I wasn't a climber. And somebody needed something doing up a tower. And I just ran up a tower and started helping. And, I, and this was the days of no harnesses. No you know, this was no like 86 and, you know, the stuff we used to do. I'll get into that later. <laughs> but uh, so I'm up in the tower and one of the other local crew, hey, you're not supposed to be up there. You're not getting paid to do that. You come on down here. And so I came on down. Yeah. About. I'd, and I started talking to one of the staging guys, a guy called Tarquin. And he said, oh, you look really comfortable up there. I said, yeah, it's no big deal. You know, I'll do, I'll do anything. You know, I'm game for a laugh. And Hey, uh, hey I'm a drummer. Hey, I'm a drummer. <laughs> I'll do, exactly. I hang out with a musician. Right? Uh, so about a couple of weeks later, I get this phone call and it's Tarquin. He says, what are you up to? I said, well, I'm just, you know, doing local crew stuff. He said, you want to come down to Upfront? It's uh, down in just uh, South London. Come down and talk with us. I said, yeah, sure. So I went down to talk with them. And Upfront was a company that had just started. It was a rigging, well, it was a rigging company forever. And uh, it, they just got broke into the staging business. And basically what they'd done is stolen a couple of people from uh, Edwin Shirley's and you two had decided to go out, but wanted to buy their own stages. So they stole these two guys, uh, Dragon Kuzmoninoff and uh, uh, Tarquin Morgan, and basically said, here's a bunch of money, put the best decking system together and waterproofing system and roofing system you can. Well, actually the roof came out of uh, Dublin. That was already done. And Tarquin, they put this system together, which at the time blew away everything. Uh, the decking yeah, system. I remember that. I, yeah. I remember that. You two had the stage. They had the stage. Yeah. And Tarquin said, hey, uh, we're going out doing the Joshua Tree tour. Do you, do you want to come out as a, one of the 
you know, staging crew guys. And this was one of the first tours where actually the staging people were actually considered part of the tour, the touring entity, the production, as opposed yeah. to, oh, yeah, you're, you're kind of separate. There was a couple maybe in America doing it at the time, Mountain and stuff. But it was the first time that, you know, it was really a part of the, the actual production entity. Um, fool me. I, I go, yeah, sure. Bright eyed, bushy tailed. I'll go out there. So my first tour was the Joshua Tree, and it turned into a world tour. Wow. And I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. This is yeah. what I want to do. I thought I was going to be a staging guy forever, you know? Wow. Loved it, loved it. At, at, at this point, at this point, the jealousy flipped the other way. Yeah, because, because I'm course, in stadium. I'm, because he's now doing stadium shows, and I'm still doing club shows and theatre shows with... Uh, Nick Kershaw and, and, and those sort of acts. Um, and, and, and all of a sudden, it's like my brother's... My, he's on YouTube. What do you mean he's on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> What's he doing on YouTube? Look at my eye laminate. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, okay, so at this time, Wab, what was, what was... Are you still taking baby steps here? Or, or uh, where's, where's, well, your, where's your, I'm your taking, head? I'm, I'm, I'm taking baby steps. I'm taking big steps in backline. So I'm moving uh, I, 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 from, from, from going front of house and, and basically doing everything for, for, uh, for the truth. I then started, Nick Kershaw was my first proper job, if you like, uh, in the industry. He, he was, the, uh, uh, he was a, 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 an 80s artist that sort of like did okay. And I became yeah, I his the guitar name, tech. Yeah. yeah, I became his guitar tech. Um, and that's when basically I stopped doing backline and started special. Uh, I stopped doing everything and started specialising. Became Nick's guitar tech, um, and I did that for quite a while. Um, and did other people like Will Party, and um, but one thing that kept I, I, I used to get bored of changing guitar strings. Um, but I just put these on. <laughs> well, oh. On the, 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 uh, I was the, the guitar, Nick's guitar tech and also looked after the bass. And this, this is like early 80s. Uh, Mark King is king in level 42. And that really, really twangy bass sound had to be, you know, you had to have that really twangy bass sound. Um, I, we used to actually go through, uh, we had Dennis, who was uh, the bass player for Nick, used to have, he had two basses. He had a, a fretless and a fretted and the fretless was played halfway through the show in the number when he had to play the fretless i had to change the strings on his fretted bass that's the the the, the, the set of guitar bass strings lasted half a show because by the end of wow. that they'd lost it the, they'd lost the twang the but i only yeah. had four and a half minutes to change the strings on the bass and stretch them out and, and stretch them in so yeah and, and, and i i, I it was because, and you couldn't reuse the bass strings because the only way I could get them off fast enough was cut them off. Yeah. So you cut the bass strings off and then you'd start and I'd add this whole thing down and I could get them in because, of course, the stretching in only had to last half a gig. Well, you're not, you know? doing, a, you're not doing a lesson on how to put bass strings on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds, it sounds like more like an F1, an F1 pit crew more than, than, that, than that, a that was it. Tech, it, you know? it. Yeah, so we, we, we ended up... <laughs> You know, 
I, I used to like playing with these uh, effects boards rather than actually changing guitar strings. So that led me into keyboards, um, programming keyboards. So from guitars, I went on to keyboards. Um, and uh, so that around about sort of like mid, mid, mid to late 87, 88, I was, I, I sort of switched over to doing keyboards. Um, then got into, uh, so I got taken on by Depeche Mode um, to actually, in fact, I was on a, I saved the Depeche show uh, by changing all the hard drives in their emulators uh, that had all melted down in tech, uh, in Arizona. And that led me on to becoming a keyboard tech for Depeche Mode, uh, then became their tape, uh, looked after their tapes, which were digital tape machines. And, and I just became that sort of keyboard backline programming boffin, sort of. Uh, and yeah, that's what's, what... what's technical, like I said, I'm hammer and nails. Hmm. Yeah. You know? Were you were you were you passionate about backline and keyboards and whatnot? Was that like yeah. were you were you, okay. you were into it? Yeah. I, I was really, really into it, but I couldn't play. This was the weird one. I can play a bass, yeah. I can play a stringed instrument, but I couldn't properly play keyboards. Um, but I could I could make a, a, a keyboard sound good. You know, mm -hmm. I could get all the sounds together, but once but actually playing doing the actual uh, playing, yeah, not me. Hey, well, let me let me ask a question before we get too far away from Depeche Mode. I, I podcasted with Frank C. I don't know if you listened to that one, but uh, he says there was one Depeche Mode show. He was standing on the side of the stage and he found himself leaning on the tape machine and it stopped <laughs> the tape machine. <laughs> was that you? No, no, no. Because because but by the time I'd been brought in, I'd built a box with a whole load of relays in. So if oh, okay. you leant on the tape machine, it actually switched to the other tape machine. Oh, okay. He, said, <laughs> he completely stopped the show on accident. Yeah, he stopped the show. I've started uh, the wrong tape. I've started the wrong song on a Depeche show um, because I put the wrong... Um, they used to have... It, it, Depeche used to be a continual show. Um, so it was one piece of tape and the songs were in, in order, but you had to change spools halfway through the show. Gotcha. And and I've put the wrong set of, of you get the set list. So you had a first half and a second half, and you could change the set by doing a different first half to a second half and all that, that sort of right. stuff. And I've started the wrong second half of a show before now. So the whole band's looking at me and going like, that's not the set we're playing tonight. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> and had to stop the tape. That's awesome. Put the right one on. <laughs> so, so so late 80s Depeche Mode, you yeah, you know, they were 88. huge. So you you would essentially it. caught up with Chris then. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point we were sort of we were we were doing our we had our own jobs and we were both, you know, reasonably at, reasonably at the highest level. A reasonably successful in our in our chosen careers. Yeah, I was still doing outdoor staging at that point. I'd done a I'd gone after we finished the the Joshua Tree in the US. I remember we uh, shot the movie Rattle and Hum at the uh, Sun Devil Stadium. And uh, I went home for a bit and then I got a call and uh, from Edwin Shirley's upfront's other, you know, competitor saying, do you want to come out and as a hit squad doing, and we were doing Michael, we were doing swapping back and forth between uh, Michael Jackson, Bad Tour, and Bruce Springsteen, Tunnel of Love Tour. 
And uh, so I, I started to stuck with staging for a bit. And then I got another call from Upfront saying, do you want to come out and do uh, Prince doing the Love Sexy? This was in 88. And uh, I went out and did that uh, for that run. That was a great run. And then we did this, uh, there was some sports event going on in Leeds and we went out to do that. And one evening I'm sat in a, the hotel room with a couple of staging guys and a, a mutual friend of us all, Mr. Steve Ardale. Uh, we, we were decimating the uh, mini bar and he looks at me and he says, Chris, do you fancy going and covering a job in the US? I went, fuck yeah, absolutely. I could not wait to get back. I, when I came to America for the first time, I fell in love with the place. I'd, you know, I was, what, about 26 years old. I was wide-eyed. I was just, it was like, you know, back in those days, it was anything goes, you know. The girls loved your accent. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I was like, yeah, absolutely i'll go out so he sent me out uh to do there was uh the grateful dead were booked at the madison square gardens uh i remember you telling me about this with the uh, with the tornadoes was this oh the no tornado that's that's, that's further down the line Wob. that's ah, right, down okay. the line this is start <laughs> this is the start. don't forget to bring that back up yeah this is this is the start of the grateful dead so i kept i flew out and I remember I got, I, I didn't have a, well, I don't know if I should say this, I don't think I had a visa, but they flew me in. And uh, I arrive at like 2 a.m. in the morning. The loading was at 6 a.m. I find my way from Newark Airport to the, the garden and I'm walking around looking, uh, and looking around for, uh, trucks or an entrance or somewhere and I, I, I see a couple of guys there and I go up to them and I said hey guys uh, you know where the trucks are and they look at me and go where I at see where the fuck would we know where the trucks were <laughs> I go, oh, yeah. what, was, what were you flown in to do what was the job that you it got was actually do? well up front had set up that uh, you two had left all the state the three stages in the US and they left a uh, uh, a guy called Spike Falana to actually, Spike yeah, 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 yeah. My ex brother in law does a little, really? yeah, you probably didn't know. Hi, Spike. Um, <laughs> uh, so they he had started doing some shows for the Grateful Dead and they had somebody else uh, overseeing it, but he had to leave and that's why they brought me out. Now, the Grateful Dead had basically told upfront, we're not doing any stage without you building it. And it has to be 64 wide by 48 deep by six foot high. And that's it. And we're using you. So they actually brought a scaffold stage into the garden to for the Grateful Dead for a two week stint. So I went in there and I did a, you know, I was there for a, a couple of days, built the stage, and then they flew me out to LA because they had an install at SeaWorld. And I, they got me a visa. They got me an L1. I think it was an L1 back there. And I basically thought I was going home at some point, but I never did. 
So I would do these shows down at SeaWorld and I'd go down on a Friday night. It was an install, permanent install. I'd go down on the Friday night, I'd raise the roof. They'd do a show Saturday, Sunday. I'd drop the roof down. I was there when Baby Shamu was born as well. That was pretty cool, actually. <laughs> uh, and, I'd, I, and then I'd drive back up to L.A. Yeah, and that was it. I, I just never went home. I, uh, yeah. I never went home. And I started doing, you know, we'd do one-offs here and there for up front. I never actually remember you moving out to America as such. You just didn't come back, did you? No, I didn't. September 10th, 1988 is there you go. when I landed in America and never left. And I just started uh, Depeche Mode. I think you had, yeah. I just I was working for the opening act, um, Orchestral Moves in the Dark, but 1988 was when I started with Depeche. Right. How um, long were you with Depeche for? Nine, nine years. Oh wow! So. so you did those. You did. You Te did. You did. Oh, I did the most debauched tour in the world ever. That I did that tour where devotional tour. Of, the devotional tour where three of the four members either died or quit. Um, right. Yeah. yeah Great exactly. tour, though. You know, I've spoken. It was. It I've was spoken. a really, really good tour. Good tour. Everyone. Yeah, good tour. Yeah. Well, on this <laughs> yes. podcast, I've I've waxed on about that tour with John Lennon. With Franksy, you know that's a that's a huge time for me. I love that record so much, and just it, was, it, it was it was a great tour. Um, uh, we all came out of it with problems, uh, uh, yeah. um, but but you know what? Uh, it was such a, a, a it was a great time. Uh, if it you was look a great back time. at it, I mean, if you I know, remember you, it? Yeah, I would know, do. Well, if you look back, well, that's <laughs> like you can see it on YouTube. You know, the Anton Corbin design yeah, no, and the visuals absolutely. and the way that you know. Martin was elevated up in the air, you know, and, and, and just the way the drum kit would roll in and out, you know, and, uh, oh, just, that, that, that was, that, that was the, uh, that's where I developed the Wob dance, um, which, uh, Tom, um, oh God, what was his surname? Tom, uh, Jez Webb and Tom. Oh Lordy, he's going to kill me for getting, Forgetting his name, forgetting his name. Uh, the, the the other two backline techs was Jez and Tom, and um, we I I would get in myself into such a stress thing that I would end up like dancing in a circle, going. <laughs> <laughs> and they, used it, they used to call it the Wob Dance because I'd, I'd literally I, I I just couldn't think the problem through. And um, uh, and I, but but by the time I'd finished it, I'd thought of a I'd thought of a, a get out clause, so the, the wob dance became a, a a real sort of uh, real sort of thing. Do you still uh, do it? Uh, no, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do I do now. Uh, uh, it's been replaced with really loud loud sighing. Um, I've been told I sigh. <laughs> I think we all do. <sighs> Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and which I actually find helps relieve stress these days. Yeah, you know, nice. With that whole, uh, uh, that whole mental health thing that we're, we're sort of like exploring at the minute. Um, I actually find that a really big sigh really sorts out my thinking. Let's it out. Uh, and, 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 and relieves a lot of the stress that I'm going through. Mm -hmm. So the wob dance turned into the wob sigh. So. <laughs> Hey, so you, you, it sounds to me like you were one of the like the first generation of playback guys. 
Nobody was yeah. doing that. I mean, who else was doing that? Were you like, were you one of the first? Well, I mean, we had playback on Kershaw back in 84, but it was only four tracks. Um, and it, it was basically adding in the, the, what you couldn't play. So, uh, so strings, choirs and that sort of thing. Um, but Depeche had taken that, Depeche and orchestral had sort of taken that to the limit of basically putting uh, everything on there except for the bits that were being played on stage. So, you know, nobody actually mimed in orchestral manoeuvres, but there was uh, quite a lot on, on tape. Right. Um, the, um, uh, but and nobody, well, uh, one of the members of Depeche used to mime or didn't play that much. Um, but everybody, everything else was, was, um, uh, was, was fully live. Uh, Alan, uh, Martin and Garni yeah, used to really, you know, really used to give it, give it rice. So we don't want to um, mention who was just miming, but we'll mention <laughs> everybody else. <laughs> Never said anything, Fletch, honest. Oh, funny. <laughs> I, I like the fact that that Alan learned how to play drums for that tour. I just love the fact that he worked on learning how to play drums. He 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 uh, he he learned how to play drums to do that tour. Uh, he taught Daryl to play keyboards to replace Fletch on that tour, um, and and basically also taught Fletch how to play keyboards to do to do the first half of it as well. Right, right. I mean, I know uh, they that, was, that, that tour was that tour was amazing. Yeah, they survived for, without him, know, of course. But you know, gosh, I wish I wish he stayed in that band. You know, that would have been, you know, they they went uh, on to do great things. I mean, there would not be there, 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 There's a really good uh, documentary that uh, that's been done, um, and they've actually got Frank C and Daryl um, on it as well. And it's a history of uh, Depeche through that whole period, and uh, and even Alan is glad that he's not there anymore. His recoil project is, you know, really, it's taken I love, off. I and, love the recoil, yeah. 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 If you yeah, find the link to that, send it to me. I'd love to see that. Yeah, we'll do. Okay, we'll so do. you, how long did you do that for? You turned into, you obviously, Depeche Mode. You must have been the guy, one of the guys that does that. So did you, did you, uh, did you nurture that, that, that skill set? Yeah, and, and, sort yeah. of, because, because <clears throat> playback was one of those things that, that sort of started taking off. I mean, we had two... 24 Sony Sony 24 track digital tape machines on the road with Depeche when I was out there and then it all changed into ADATs and the small right. stuff you know they, they all went down to uh, to the video cassettes um, and I did uh, I did a few of those and then it progressed into the hard drive systems uh, the the Roland hard drive systems I did a, a whole stint with Cliff Richard um doing uh do, doing playback for cliff richard on the um uh the heathcliff tour uh that he did the th the theater combination thing that that uh, they had a small band uh but a, a lot of playback and i looked after that um and then um and then started looking at, uh, at the same time as doing that i was also a keyboard tech Okay. Um, and uh, I was doing, it was when I was doing keyboards for Brian Ferry, 1995, 1996, the Mamuna tour. That was when I stopped, uh, I, I st I'd sort of branched out into doing keyboards and stage management. 
and I was a really, really crap stage manager. It was, <laughs> well, was well, those really, were the days. Those really were the days. Awful. <laughs> People were anointed stage management because nobody else would do it. You know, well, that was it. It was basically, um, um, I. Uh, what tour was it on? I was on Elton John. I was actually working for Nick Kershaw, opening for Elton John. And I'd started um, dating uh, the, one of the Lampies, Liz. And um, basically, whenever, wherever we went, she always ended up without any crew. And I would basically, even though I was working for the opening act, I, I sort of started getting her crew, making sure that she had crew. And that was effectively how I got myself into stage management just making sure that my girlfriend had guys to <laughs> boxy. hey you know I, i'd wager I, I'm, I'm gonna stay say something you let me know if i'm right though but going back to the idea because we used to drive the truck we used to be that guy so when you drove the truck you get out of the truck and you go and you open the truck let me guess yeah. you were also the first guy at the truck in the morning yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, when I was a backline tech, you didn't Only stop at the end the of it, We didn't start, stop at backline. You did the whole truck. You always did the whole truck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that same thing with me. I, I became stage managers on tours just because I was the guy at the truck and nobody else would do it. You know, yeah. all right, well, you're the stage manager now, you know. And but but that, actually that actually organizing the gear coming out of the building in the right order and that sort of stuff, I just couldn't. It, 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 was, it wasn't Gary Courier. Uh, who uh, is a, a, a lovely friend of mine, um, remembers the day he was rigging on Brian Ferry and I was supposed to be stage managing it. And he just... Supposed he just, to be. Just supposed to be stage <laughs> managing And he just got... He, he used to sit up in the roof, in the rigging, and he could just see how it all went wrong. And, <laughs> and then would laugh at me when it just didn't sort of seem to work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, um, but that's... The, 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 the reason I mentioned that was it was Brian Ferry's management that decided that I should be given the chance to go and try production management. Nice. So that was uh, your introductory to production, Brian Ferry. That was how I got into production. Nice. Um, Brian, uh, Brian Ferry's managers, uh, Tim Clark and David Enthoven, uh, found this. They decided that they were, um, they were going to manage this guy that had just left this boy band called Take That, and his name was Robin ah. Williams. Um, and they said um, they were looking for, they, they wanted to completely start from scratch. So um, the wardrobe girl on Brian Ferry was Gabby Chelmicker, and she became there. She was working for them as the assistant, and she sort of became Rob's personal manager. Dave Bracey was John Lemon's assistant on Brian Ferry, and so Bracey became the front house engineer. Um, Liz was the lighting tech on Brian Ferry. Um, so she became the LD um, and I became the production manager and Franksy was, Franksy was wow. the tour manager. Wow. Um, and we, we called it the tour of virgins because it was Rob's first tour, my first tour, Liz's first tour, Dave's first tour in that position. We'd all done wow. tours before. The only person with any real experience was Franksy. Wow. And were you still doing backline at the time or were you able to put that away and just. No, I put I, they, they, once once they once they'd said you're going to be uh, a production manager. That's all I did. And, and, and literally that was it was it was a switch. It was um, I'd, I'd been running. Um, I've been running the, the, the stage at um, TFI Friday 
um, in the UK, which is a TV show, a live TV show. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Um, and basically, um, I, I carried on doing that and then doing production for, for Rob. Um, I became, briefly, I became the production manager for Depeche um, because at that point, this would be 96, 97, they just brought out um, Ultra and they did a promo run. Great record. And I looked after that as, as production. Um, and then, uh, and then the Rob, Robbie Williams came on, and uh, the, the learning curve was vertical. Okay, how many how many years um, was that? Okay, we we started with you, you know, doing playback for Depeche Mode, and then how many years was it till you became production manager with Robbie Williams? So I can I want to have I want to have Chris catch up with us. So so how many years? Okay, so <laughs> I, I started in '88 with Depeche, and my last show with Depeche was in '97. Okay, so you, um, you and I, I don't I, you know there, there was there was uh, nine years that I was actually with that, and then I started Robbie in '97. I became so, a well, production those were, manager. Well, you know, those were formidable years. Those were your learning years. That's where you were paying attention to how shows go in and out. You know, and you know, yeah. by the time you took over and became production manager, you must have felt you could do the job. You must have felt that you had an overall view. Uh, really strange, actually. Steve Levitt had given me a chance to do it uh, a few years earlier with the Pasadenas. Um, I went out and looked after a, um, a it was a, a, a recard tour where it was a, like the, we had one of those um, expanding stages, a uh, 40 foot truck that uh, opened out into a stage. All right. And yeah, I yeah. sort of, I, 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 I technically, I ran that for Steve, Steve Levitt uh, a few years earlier. But, we, uh, we had but that no, in the States. We, we called that the Warped Tour. <laughs> yes. Well, Faye McMahon actually owns a stage now. The, the really? stage still exists. <laughs> yeah, Faye McMahon's got one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What's he doing with it? Uh, same thing. Touring Ireland with, with, with bands, as far as I'm aware. Um, uh, yeah, just, just driving it into a car park and, and setting up a stage. It was... Right. Uh, it's really good fun right. and dead easy to do at the same time okay so so, so um, robbie robbie has just left take that um he has got let me entertain you was like his huge hit at the time and you guys go out on the road so how how, how big was that production what were you what was your your first time at it how, how much stuff did you have to look after uh, uh it was a truck and a half it was uh it was uh a, a 45 well, the first the, the first tour that we did actually all fitted in um, in a in a in an eighteen tonner. Oh, okay. Um, it was basically we took the back line, we took a sound console, and we took um, we took six very lights. Okay, so his um, so his and, his you know his cred from take that really didn't carry over. The, 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 he was he was properly managed. They, they they did they did Dave and Tim did not want to throw him straight out into uh, a huge production. They actually right. took him okay. right the way back to basics and put him out into clubs as a solo artist. Uh, we had a really good band around them, um, uh, still uh, run by Guy Chambers, um, but we started from absolute scratch playing uh, playing little tiny clubs in the UK, and then we went out. We did a European tour with basically an 18 tonner um, and uh, using house lights plus six very lights. Um, and, and we had a, a monitor desk 
um, and uh, and a front of house desk, and and that was it. It was right. uh, you know really you know started from the very very scratch. First tour was first tour was was clubs. Second tour was clubs in Europe. Third tour was theatres. The fourth tour was theatres in Europe. Then we did arenas. Then we did stadiums. It was that quick. Yeah. <laughs> By yeah. 2000, yeah. 2000, we'd started in stadiums. 97 to 2000, that, right. was, that was his rise to, to stadium touring. Wow, that's, that's incredible. You know, That's incredible how you were able to take the steps, all of you, new production manager, Robbie, a new artist, who had everybody you just explained earlier, other than Franksy, was, was new to their position. And you were able to take those small steps we had we had a really good management company behind us that really believed in us and really believed in Rob and gave us the backing that we you needed to actually do that together. The, the, right, Dave right. and Tim, I remember Dave uh, Tim, who was the money man, taking me pulling me to one side and saying like, "Wob, I want you to fight for your crew. I want you if you think we're doing this wrong, I need you to come back and tell me that we're doing this wrong, and then you fight for your crew." And uh, that's uh, it, it, that was right back at the beginning, and I've all that's something I've always done ever since, and it's stuck so with me. The fact that a manager would effectively take me to one side and say, "Like, look after your crew." That's it's, incredible. Ne it's never left me, and that's that that's, that's been incredible. the way I've always tried to work it since. So, Chris, you know, we just we just bolted through ten years of of Wob's career, <laughs> bring him from bring him from. Uh, Reel-to-reel -reel tape machines to to stadiums with with Robbie. Uh, what, what were your next steps? What, what made you know? What did you do in the nineties? Uh, the early nineties, I, I was still doing that. I finished up doing you know I was doing still working for Upfront, and then I left Upfront and I moved out to LA, uh, and I started working for what for Eric Pierce, that's GPS now. Good which uh, the show back group. then was the show group and it was uh, Eric Eastland and Eric Pierce doing the, the show lights, show staging. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff. And I started working in the shop. Uh, just, I needed employment, you know, it's a, you know, touring. There was, a, a, you know, it was not so much stadium stuff going on at the time and up front, front weren't busy. So it still sounds like a drummer mentality, actually. I, yeah, well, I'll always have that drummer mentality, mate. Uh, that goes without saying. So I moved, uh, you know, I went and stayed with a friend out in L.A. and I started working down at uh, the show group. I drilled, I'd say, 99.9% .9 of the holes in the Use Your Illusion set. I think that was back in 91. <laughs> it was 1991. Uh, yes, we were we were pretty lit. M myself and Adam Duckett, who uh, oh wow, who started yeah. so what later on? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was uh, we. There was a, a there was, oh, God. What was the welder's name? There was. I like spent a, a whole weekend in the back lounge of a bus with Adam Duckett. I'm sure you did. <laughs> you know, I've, I've I've known him to lock himself in the back lounge of a bus on a weekend. But we won't go there. Uh, I, uh, so I'm working at uh, doing, putting this set together and uh, 
I think Kendall Carter was the God rest his soul was the head carpenter, and he came in and I was there doing the job and. Eric Pierce has said, I'm going to put you out as a carpenter on this tour. And for some reason, I don't think me and Kendall hit it off. Now, later down the road, we became good friends, you know. But I didn't get taken out on the tour. And I was I was really, I drilled every freaking hole in that set, man. I know how it goes together. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't go out on that tour. They had another show to put together, which turned out to be Van Halen. And it was, uh, it was the, for unlawful carnal knowledge tour that they were going to go out on. And uh, That's still Sammy, right? That was Sammy. Yeah, that was Sammy. And the production manager had called up Eric and said, you know, uh, I need a couple of your guys to come out on this tour. And who was that? Who was that? Frank Stetler. Frank Stetler, right Frank on. Frank Stetler. Now, unbeknownst to uh, the anyone, me and Frank had struck up a good relationship because he'd been a site coordinator. He 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 had been working for Metropolitan, uh, and I think John Share as well. But he was also a site coordinator on a bunch of uh, Grateful Dead uh, shows. And I'd gone out and done a couple of summer tours, like in uh, 88 and 89, with the Grateful Dead, which I don't really remember much about because it was the Grateful Dead. Go figure. All right. There was a lot of stuff going around at that time. Uh, but... I'd, and then I started working at a, a show staging and Frank had called up and said, I need a couple of carpenters. Who you got? And Eric had told him, well, I've got this guy, uh, Adam Duckett. And he went, yeah, I've never heard of him. Uh, he goes, and this new guy, Chris Roberts. And Frankie went, I want Chris Roberts. So lo and behold, I end up as one of the carpenters out on, uh, on, uh, Van Halen, the head carpenter was another English guy who I started, who did the Joshua Tree tour. It was his first tour to uh, a guy called Pat Ledwith, Patrick Ledwith. Ah, Patrick, right. Yeah, great guy. So we end up, we, we go out on the tour. Great. About two months into the tour, the stage manager left. Patrick got moved up to stage manager and I got moved up to head carpenter. So that's how Isn't I that got into the production side of it. So we did the, you know, we did that tour. I went on to do, uh, you know, we did the Right Here, Right Now. Um, and on Right Here, Right Now, there was a, a rigger. Oh, God, it's going to come to me. I'm sorry, my, my memory for names. I'm good with faces, and I can put a name with a face when I see him. It's, it's as my, bad as my memory for yeah. names. So, yeah. One no, of the we, we are at that age, the guys. family. We are. In we the are. It's not called old timers. It's called part timers. Um, <laughs> uh, had seen me and put me up for a bet Midler gig. So next thing I know, I'm out doing bet Midler uh, runs, which was a total opposite of. 
of you know rock and roll i'm going into pouring yeah, in yeah in sheds with soft guns with wind and with rain and everything so i, and, I, and I, with I, I i'm with that no, that's Beth, up there with wind and rain no 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 i've got to, i've got to tell you she turned out to be one of the, one of the gems that i've worked for she was absolutely nice. hot. That's, that's good to hear no absolutely i used to pull pranks on her all the time she'd always know it was me uh we actually she actually uh asked me if i was eric idol's illegitimate son and if i'd ever thought about writing comedy scripts and i, I was like yeah whatever that. but i and i just progressed in you know doing carpentry and head carpentry uh and then we were doing I want to say it was the balance tour in 95 uh, with Halen. We just finished that up and Sammy had a guitar tech called Jim Service who'd come in to uh, uh, take over from the previous guy. And we finished up that tour and he worked for Joe Perry. So I suddenly get a call out the blue from Mark Hogue looking for a stage manager. And I guess, Jim, when I was doing head carpentry, I'd just jump, I just didn't do my job and that's it. Yeah. I would jump in with everyone else, you know, and I'd be helping sound get out and stuff. Yeah. And well, let's that, be honest, the, the head carpenter is the assistant stage manager under a different basically, time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, basically, absolutely, basically. always will be. That's, yeah. that's basically where I got the chops for, you know, actually, I'm sorry, Wob. I actually was a good stage manager. Okay, I kind of, yeah, I, kind yeah, of, I know, I know that. <laughs> I kind of took to it like a duck to water, and next thing I know, Mark Hope's calling me up and asking me if I want to go out and stage manage uh, the Nine Lives tour with Aerosmith, and that's how I got into that that leg of the game. So, so stage managing can be real good fun. You know, oh, especially, no, especially after you get your flow going. Oh, no. Everybody sees the big picture together. And, you know, it can be really fun and really rewarding, especially a loadout. Absolutely. And you get it's to shout a lot, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get to totally. shout a lot, too, which is really good. Totally. So, um, <clears throat> so uh, I did that for a, a, a while. And then for some reason, I, I, I remember ending up in. Uh, I've got to go. There's a story with Aerosmith. It's uh, that, that's maybe that's a, that's a, that's a, that's for another time. I think that's for another time. But I uh, I I I did that for uh, and I, then I went off and did uh, Bon Jovi stage managing. Bugsy, my mum, our mum tells a great story about Chris and uh, uh, and Aerosmith uh, because he. She came out to uh, to Paris to see Chris, and um, and he got other passes. And you know, you, you know, it, it, she she always feels really really good when Mum comes out to see her to see a show. But uh, Chris took her out of the hotel and said, "Like we're going to the Hard Rock Cafe." So they're in Paris. They walk out of the hotel, and Chris goes, "We're going to get a cab." So they pull over a cab, and he jumps into the cab and says, "The Hard Rock Cafe," and my Mum's feeling they're all really impressed about the fact that Chris has organized the cab and all this sort of stuff. And the, the, the cab driver looks back and goes like the Hard Rock Cafe. And she goes, yes, the Hard Rock Cafe. And he goes, turns left, 
drives down the road, turns left, drives down the road, turns left, drives down the road, turns left, and pulls up to just before the hotel, which is where the Hard Rock Cafe is. <laughs> yeah, my sense of direction, mate, my sense of direction, all the time. My, my sense of road direction would not be that good, but my stage management <sighs> direction wasn't too bad, I don't think. <laughs> inside, inside the gig, you're solid. Outside... You know, yeah, maybe, there you go. yeah, maybe a little. So <laughs> I, I, I did Bon Jovi as a stage manager for the Crush tour and the One Wild Night. No, I would bugs you I, I mean, come on, what a, he's one, he's one of our industry's true gentlemen. Oh, absolutely, Ooh, absolutely. A lot of people hold him, you know, dear as, as you know, as a, as a, as a mentor. Don't bon Jovi. And, uh, Actually, the whole band, the whole band were great. Uh, so. And then I, I, I actually cut that short because Aerosmith were going out and I, uh, Bugsy put me in the penalty box. All right, so I, I wasn't asked back because I went back with uh, Aerosmith and we did, uh, we did the, uh, oh God, which one was it? Uh, Just Push Play tour um, and did that tour and then I'm there without a gig and Bon Jovi are going out and Bugsy wouldn't hire me so I got all forlorn and then suddenly I get a, a phone call from Jimmy Ayers saying hey uh, we need to swap out the production manager and it happened to, I, I felt really awkward about it because I knew the guy and it happened to be Gunji oh, and wow. he was doing front of house and uh, production management for uh, for White Snake. Okay. So I, I remember I was living in Vegas at the time and I get the call from Jimmy S to go down to the, uh, to the show. I think it was at the Orleans at that time and it was White Snake and the Scorpions. And he introduced me to Coverdale and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know exactly what was going on until I'm walking down the hallway and I see Gunji. I go, and he sees me, and he was like, obviously, they were like, what's oh, going wow. on here kind of thing. And it, it was kind of awkward. Did he keep but his met, job, though, mixing? What's that? Did he get to no, keep his No, they job? actually replaced it. They, uh, oh, Jim wow. Yakubuski. They brought in Jim Yakubuski. Uh, not many people better than Gunji. Uh, he, he was... No, and I, it, listen, it was... It, <clears throat> What a guy. One of those, it was one of those things. And, and you know what? It happens a lot, be it right or wrong. But yeah, yeah, of, course, of course, especially for sound guys. It's, you know, you know it does. Yeah. All, it, all it takes is, is, is <laughs> the manager assistant or somebody significant. Exactly. Out there going, I couldn't hear your guitar. Yeah. You know, exactly. or, and, and then you're, you know, beginning, it's the beginning of the end right there. Yeah. Exactly. Same with but, but Gunji, what a great guy. I was lucky oh. enough to speak to him. Uh, up until a couple of days before he passed, you know, right. what a wonderful man, you know. No, absolutely. I taught, I, I taught him when he was looking after Magnum back in the uh, back in the eighties. Right. Uh, I, I, yeah. I only wish he got to see Kate Bush play again. You know, that's that's if he only got to see those shows. That she I would have loved to have seen those shows too. Yeah, because no, he lived for Kate Bush. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay, I, so I, you're the, the, the two tours that I did see. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I, I saw yeah, yeah. I saw Kate's first and I saw the last as well. Wow. Yeah, I saw, I saw, I saw, I've I saw seen both tours. Liverpool Empire. Wow. The Liverpool yeah. Empire. It was her very yeah. first show. It was the yeah. very first show of the tour. Because she never yeah, toured after her first record. Yeah. yeah. No. No. Yeah, and, and which is why I actually flew from San Francisco to London 
just to watch the show, watched the show and flew back the following day to continue the one detour that I was on. Couldn't believe so. And okay. It's really weird, actually. I'll tell you exactly how close Chris and I are, is, is, is the fact that all the tours that he's just said, half of them I've actually worked on and didn't even know that he was actually doing the stage on it or was actually not in the building at the same time. So Queen, uh, he was building the stage when I was working um, for uh, Baluie Sum. Correct. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, you know. Um, I, 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 the Rod Stewart, I was working for Fergal Sharkey when he was building the stage for that. We, 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 we've missed one another throughout our entire career. Right. We've never physically worked together, but we have been so close all the time. No cell phones, you know, no uh, social the, the, the media. Use your illusion tour. Use your illusion tour. But uh, Liz Berry was on that tour, um, and I was on. I was visiting that tour because uh, because of Liz. You know, it's all the way all the way through it. It's been just just fleeting ships in the night. Sort ships of. in the night. All, yeah. all the I way, actually wasn't on the use the uh, illusion tour. I I can't. I, I actually did uh, GNR and Metallica later when they. Uh, oh, it was the GNR Metallica run. Which yeah. had all its moments. With the biggest set change in the history of the Bring music industry. Me oh, a ledger. Yeah. yeah, Jake Berry and Opie there. Man, yeah. it was unbelievable. I actually, I, 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 at that point when I did uh, was involved in that tour, I dropped, I, I'd gone back to outdoor staging. So I was running uh, one of the stages on that. And that was, that was the first time that. Uh, I want to say Stagecoat and Upfront got together. Stagecoat brought the roof in and Upfront did all the decking system. Right. So it was two companies yeah. doing the same thing. Nice. But yeah, I okay, remember. So, so we left off with, with Wob in 1990, production manager for right. Robbie Williams. 90, no, 2000, pardon me. 2000, 2000 yeah. 2000 when we hit stadiums. Okay. And what year is this when you got the White Snake gig? That was 2003. Okay, so he beat you to it again by a couple. Oh, of years. He, yeah, he beats it. Yeah, he beats me to the punch every time. But that's okay. That's okay. I can deal with that. Okay. And yeah. then after, I guess uh, after White Snake, I went and worked with a, a, a friend of mine, Tim Lamb, uh, yes. and we did uh, we did a, a Tony Hawk Boom Boom Hut Jam. <laughs> which was an arena tour where we built a half pipe and a, a berm racetrack around for all the, the motocross stuff. And basically it was 16 trucks of, you know, X Games kind of stuff, but before X Games actually became about, you know, became a yeah. thing. So the audience I'm sat really, around. Really like, talking about that, yeah. Yeah, it was in the round and the best, uh, for once, the best seats were the nosebleeds. It's you like know, going to a hockey game. You took yeah. the ice, you took over the ice and everybody sat around it. Gotcha. That's right. That's right. And you, we built this Tate Towers, $1 million half pipe in the middle and it killed every sight line. We had a 14 foot high stage at one end and they'd bring bands in like uh, The Offspring played uh, a couple of shows. Uh, Devo came in and did a few shows, uh, you know, some other, some other small upcoming acts would, uh, you know, skate bands, skate, you know, uh, skater bands would come in. So All I right. did that. And then that's where, where I met Ray Woodbury. Of course. Now the legendary Ray. 
love that guy. Yeah, he's, still, he's still at it. He's, uh, you oh, know, he's yeah. doing design now. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's yeah. very successful. Yeah, absolutely. He's got his, he's got his, uh, he's got his labor company. He's got his uh, lighting company and he does design too. Yeah, yeah. So he, um, was in, he was in league with Kevin Lyman at the time, I would imagine. Correct. Right. I did. A, that's another uh, staging tour. I did the very first Lollapalooza tour. Oh, uh, wow. Which we did uh, we did about six of the shows where they it wasn't in sheds and we had to build stages. So that was I remember sitting at a bar in Florida with uh, the James guys getting drunk and other stuff uh, at the bar at the Peabody. But that's another story. Yeah, that was a historic tour. <laughs> yeah. historic tour. And then uh, I was talking to Ray and he told me that uh, Jim Gurno, who was, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was Gurno, uh, who was Tony Hawk's manager, had this other act that he'd just got with a fairly unknown guy called Trent Reznor. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And um, that's where we have a something in common there because I oh, believe we've got it, a lot in common. Yeah, we have a lot in common. I, I just I just saw our overlap on you because you know I, I I have the ability to look at your resume. We overlap on Tool. Yeah. Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. A Perfect Circle. Yeah. Jane's Addiction. Yeah. Creed. Yeah. And Motley Crue. <laughs> that is so we all had our shot at that. And this brings yeah. up to a good point. After all the artists you guys have ever worked for. You two overlap only on one, from what I can tell. Really? Who's that? Kanye West. Ah, oh, well, you both <laughs> had you both had your shot at Kanye West. Well, we, we both had. Well, well, actually, that therein therein lies another story, actually, because uh, I got the Kanye West gig from Chris because I'd been fired from Coldplay. Ah. <laughs> uh, so so and you I had, had nothing, the, you... nothing to do. I had uh, basically I was out of work and Chris said, uh, what are you doing? And I, and I said, well, I've just been fired from Coldplay. So. Um, uh, so what have you got? And he said, well, I need you to take over Kanye. So, so it wasn't actually an overlap. No. Chris gave me the gig. Uh, you I... went off and you, you went off. And did, it was a perfect circle. No, I was actually doing new kids. It was my first, it was. I think I went uh, and did New Kids Backstreet. And I could not do No, it wasn't. It was a. Uh, you know what? I can't remember. I honestly, it was either. It could have been a perfect circle or it mm. could have been New Kids. I toured with Jane's Addiction because they actually opened for Depeche on that 88. Ah, okay. um, yeah, That's a great was, time for both bands right there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, not, not Depeche. No. Oh, that wasn't Depeche. No, the Jane's Addiction. Jane's Addiction was um, New Order and Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, Echo and the Bunnymen, New Order and Jane's Addiction. The 1986 from uh, Liverpool to LA tour. Oh, there nice, you go. Nice. That was. Well, you, well, you both are. You both are really well established. So I wouldn't mind just bouncing around your resumes, you know, and asking you about certain things, mm -hmm. uh, because you know I'm really intrigued because a lot of these things are historical. You know, you guys have done things that are historical. And Wob, yeah. uh, I've got to ask you about Amy Winehouse. You know, what was it like? I mean, how long was it? I mean, what was what was that experience? It was like a six. You? It was a six six day tour around Brazil. Um, okay. I only did, I only got the gig because I lived in in, in Brazil. Uh, okay. Curly Jobson was the tour manager. 
um, and uh, who had met back. He was. We were both backline techs uh, for Echo and the, the Bunnymen. Bunnymen back in I, the. That's how long I've known him for. I've known him since right. Echo and the Bunnymen in public well, image I, limited I, back in those days. That's how long I've known Mickey. We used to call him Mickey back in those days. Yeah, <laughs> Curly. Curly was uh, the the other guitar tech. I was the keyboard and drum tech on Echo and the Bunnymen. That's how I met Curly. Wow. Um, and we had th that was another great tour. That was the tour where Blair Cunningham was playing drums for um, was playing drums for the Bunnymen because Pete uh, Pete was off. Um, he hadn't passed at that point. He 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 lost his mind and he was off doing other things. Um, and um, there's another there's a there's a good Pete the Fritas story as well. Um, but uh, Blair Cunningham, I woke up one, one night in my hotel room only to catch Blair Cunningham carrying my minibar out of the hotel room. <laughs> I thought you were going to take something else, so thank God. <laughs> <laughs> right out loud. Yeah. Well, what was yeah. it like? What was it like working for Amy? I mean, you, you, you know, it was a very, very strange. It? Yeah, it was, it was very strange because it was the tour. It was the last full tour she did before she passed. Um, she, they came down to Brazil. She got herself together. Um, and, um, and actually, I hardly spoke to her because she was being, um, Ray and Curly were basically just keeping her, keeping her together. Right. Um, so, so, and while Curly took, took all that time making sure that she was okay, I ran the rest of the, I uh, ran the rest of the production. And How were the shows? Shows were fantastic. Okay. Um, the first one was a bit weird um, because um, she walked off. There, there was a, an interlude where she would walk off stage and, and let the band play for a bit. And it was the first time that I'd ever seen it. So she played for, for half an hour and then left the stage for like nearly 10 minutes and then came back on while the, the, the rest of the band uh, covered some songs. And then she finished off the show. Interesting. Um, and that uh, happened was, every night. That happened every night. Um, but um, but it was uh, she finished every she did every show. We didn't cancel at all. Mm. Um, and you know we really thought she'd got herself back on track. And and that, at the end of that tour, um, we did some really. Uh, I mean, what a performer! And what, what, once she actually opened her mouth on stage, it was it was spellbinding. Right. Um, but you know, it was she'd walk in, she'd almost walk into the gig onto stage, um, perform, and then out of the gig. Right. Uh, and very back very protective. Their... I've seen that with yeah, artists. Very, very very like painted. <laughs> 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 okay, another another one I wanted to ask you about because uh, because of the times and, and what it was was the Genesis Stadium tour, which was a huge endeavor. And if I'm not mistaken, if it wasn't the first, it was one of the first open air, no roof stadium uh, and yeah. endeavors. Now, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute there, Chris. Which tour are we talking about? Well, uh, how many Genesis tours did you have you done? I, I did. I did one. I did We Can't Dance as a staging guy. Okay. Which, yeah, uh, but there was a roof on that. No, there wasn't. Wasn't there? Wasn't. No, there was no roof on that whatsoever. Oh. That's the one where okay. Phil Collins would enter from a lift from the back and it had tracking video screens and it had this uh, tracking lighting system that was on wires 
that moved uh, moved across and we had to put the underneath the stage we had to put this piping tension bar and you had to get a laser out because this had to be perfectly straight to take the compression of the strain of the wires to hold this these moving that flew these moving pods over the stage now this was i want to say 93 94 it was the we can't dance tour mm-hmm. and we came out of that it was around actually it was 93 because it was around the same time i finished uh, guns and roses metallica and then went straight onto that and uh that sounds about right. They called it the we can't we can't dance we can't sleep but no we can't dance because we can't sleep tour because rehearsals were murderous putting that stage together. There was no right. sleep till Brooklyn. Who was who was doing wow. production in those days? Was it like Morris Leider or somebody like Morris that? Leider was right definitely doing production uh, on yeah. that one. I remember getting told off because they'd left. I, I got told off over the radio because we were doing some smack talk over the radio. And I guess Morris was on the bus going down the road and still had his radio on. And as a staging guys are doing the smack <laughs> talk back and forth between each other. And Morris said, guys, do not talk like that on the radio. <laughs> uh, I got reprimanded by Morris. That was my oh, first boy. introduction. No one ever learns that lesson. You know, no, they don't. You never know who's listening. And we've, we've all, have you ever worked for an artist that has, keeps a radio? Yes, and Stephen they're, they're, Tyler. Stephen you know, Tyler. Yeah, Matt Bellamy does that as well. He'll, oh, yeah. He that radio. doesn't surprise me at all. He keeps that the radio in the office, spins the dial, likes to listen to what's going on out there. Yeah. You know? Oh, boy. You know, you, people get in trouble. I always look oh, at them yeah. and go, you watch what you say over the radio. Absolutely. You watch no, what you say over the radio. Yeah, the, the, the Genesis tour for me wasn't so much the fact it was outdoors. It was the fact that um, when they booked the tour, they sold the tour, then they designed the show. Um, and that happens a lot. That shocking happens. Yeah. that that still happens. Shocking that that still yeah, happens. Yeah, but, but, but the, the stage was probably three times the size of the footprint of the stage that they'd actually sold the tour on. Um, that was the interesting one. So it was getting the capacity back to the shows by literally driving the stage into the back bleacher mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and that, building that, that all, all, the storage that you, all the storage that you'd normally put behind the stage was effectively in the bleachers. So we were carrying an extra two trucks of scaff just to build to deck um, deckings in, in the bleachers just for storage. It was... Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, that was another ma- master, masterful sort of uh, routing hmm. uh, by, uh, by the agent. I, I just remembered while that tour was happening, just, you know, just, you know, because there's talk in the industry, you know, everybody's talks in the industry about what, what everybody else is doing. I just remember about when that was going on, just how big it was and just how it was raining every day on you guys. And it was like this huge endeavor and, and, and just how, well, it, 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 it was quite manic because, again, the routing meant that the stage co-systems uh, meant that we had lo- five low base systems, yeah. three high steel systems, two advanced systems, and then a universal. Uh, and right. that was the, and it was literally you met some crew uh, every six, seven shows. Yeah, uh, that's how it um, happens. Yeah. You know, because because that's that, that was. The, the routing on it for the different bases and 
different steel systems was was quite yeah, yeah, quite yeah. spectacular. It was like 2007, 2008. That was 2007. Yeah. 2007. Yeah. yeah, I thought I had that right. 2007. I did Robbie straight into Genesis, which was uh, which was good fun. Right, right. Um, Another one I wanted to ask you about. Maybe maybe this was. Uh, Another short one like Amy, but uh, Air. Uh, uh, my first tour with the wonderful Craig Duffy, who is no longer with us, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, just um, But yeah, um, yeah, that was that was a really really uh, interesting tour. Um, I'd never really heard. I, I, I didn't know who they were until they started playing. Uh, right. And again, just phenomenal music. Um, tour, it, that, was the two, that was a really weird tour because you had to, um, um, I, I was almost like second keyboard tech because Pete, who was looking after the keyboards, um, they wouldn't use anything uh, except the originals. Uh, so we had really old chord keyboards, really old, sort of uh, original Roland sequential circuit stuff. It yeah. was it was all, all sort of falling to bits. Um, um, was that the one? We, did we actually have a Mellotron on the tour? I think oh. we might have had a Mellotron on it at one point. It was it was it was one of those. Yeah. Um, you, and, and we're playing festivals in Verona <laughs> uh, up on the hill uh, and in, the, in the un unbelievable heat where, where, where these poor keyboards are sort of melting down. And, <laughs> Um, it seems and, to me like it, 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 is is Italy the hottest place in the world to gig? I mean, it seems that when the shows I've done there in the summertime, oh, around, yes, but they're nice. Around. You see, that's nice heat. That that that's that, that's nice basking in the sun heat. <clears throat> yeah, Arizona is is probably where I've ever been the hottest, and that's just horrible, sort of like beat beat you know beating down on the tarmac heat. Sitting in a sitting in a microwave yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so Chris, yeah. look at looking at your looking at your career. What I think the biggest compliment, you know, that anybody can give you is you've got lots of uh, return clients. You seem to, when you latch onto somebody, they always want you back. You know, like System of the Down for years. You know, Drake for years. New Kids on the Block for years. You know, you just seem to have all these reoccurring gigs that keep coming back to you. Some do, some don't. You know, it's just like that in life for uh, everyone. There's, uh, but. The bands like you just mentioned, you know, uh, and one band that I, 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 I'm really sad that you got the gig because I love those guys is Tool. Yeah, love those guys. guys to death. You know, we did, Pete, Pete, the manager, and I had a slight falling out. We're back, the best of friends now. Good. But, you know, he's a, a great guy. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, yeah. you're glad you're friends with him again. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We we had a moment, as you do occasionally but yeah i mean those bands i'd i i'd just like working for those acts you know yeah. and I'd, there's there's another act and i might have to run and get a power cord in a minute because uh, it looks like i'm just about to go dead on this but those acts uh you know uh I, it's just so enjoyable to be the good people yeah. And, you know, that makes you want to come back. when. when That's you're... where we're at in our careers right now. At our age, you know, we're not looking at Absolutely. what kind of... Absolutely. We want to Absolutely. work with, with managers that respect you. Absolutely. I want to run and get this. Managers that respect you, uh, having your people there to support you. You know, 
you know, the working conditions seems to be more important than just anything. I mean, we're younger. First of all, we said yes to everything, but we kind yeah, of wanted to absolutely. work. We wanted to kind I, of work for the cool bands and the kind of music we wanted. And, you know, that's, that's almost not as important anymore. But I think we've both been lucky as well, because uh, in as much as uh, all three of us, you know, I, I've, I've, there's very, very few acts that I wouldn't go back and work with again. I might not have the repeat business that Chris has got uh, because basically a lot always, of the bands- because you're always busy. Yeah, but uh, again, all the people, I can't think of many people that I didn't enjoy working with. Um, and, 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 and it always filters down. So you always end up having, a, if, if you're enjoying working for, a, for an artist and the artist is enjoying working with you, then it, it's usually a good tour because actually it all trickles down. So, you know, if, if I'm having yeah. fun, then usually the crew are having fun as well. Um, and, and while it can be difficult at times, um, you know, uh, it got a, bit, uh, got a bit difficult on One Direction at one point, but, but even so, it's, you know, it, 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 it's, you, you try and keep the spirits up of everybody around you um, and it's only when people, when, when, the, when the artist or the management don't care yeah. that you actually start having, having dicky tours. If, if, the, if the management and the artist are, are at least decent chaps, then, yeah. then usually the tours are a good, a good one. It means a lot. I mean, yeah. it, starts, you know, it starts with the manager and the artist, and then it trickles down to tour management and production management. And Absolutely. When it makes it, Absolutely. when it gets trickles down to there and it's still got, then, then it's going to make it all the way to, you know, the, the fourth man on the lighting crew. It's all going to be good for everybody, you know? Exactly. Which, like is, Bob, which is how you want like, it. Like, Absolutely. Like Bob said earlier, you know, with the manager, I'm, I'm of the same mindset, you know, you're only as good as the crew that you hire, you know? So you take care of your crew. When you yeah. take care of your crew, you get the best out of your crew. And so when you get into those really shitty situations, your crew's going to be there for you. Yeah. When you, when you, when you, when you, when you, you every, every time. You know, every absolutely. Time. We, you know, you know, I was saying that, you know, you know earlier, we, you know, we're not the gig. No. You know, we are not the gig. We are just the people that are providing a workplace for everybody else, you know, trying exactly. to make them be as successful as they can be. So when we do step in the shit, they're there to help you scrape the shit off your shoe for you. You know, it's, right. it's, exactly. it's, it's, it's having that kind of support. Yeah, you know, and, and, and if, just, the, if the artist you're working with doesn't help scrape that shit off, then then that's when yeah. that's when the tour sort of falls down, and and you know that, that, that there's that 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 undercurrent of yeah uh, of of negativity in the in the tour, and it's usually come from an artist that that doesn't appreciate what's what's going going on yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before before he arrives in he or she arrives in the mm. in, in the in the venue. Yeah. Oh, you know, I, yeah. I, I could go on for hours talking to you guys. This is so fun, but time is just flying by. So we, we, we you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to keep going, but tell, why don't we, let's catch up to what you guys are doing now. So, you know, Chris, Chris, where are you? You're, 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 you're in Tennessee. What are you, what are you getting ready to do? You got anything coming up? I, I do. I do. Uh, I've got, I'm returning to one of my all time favorites system with, uh, nice. we've got a incredible a band in October. We've got six shows. Uh, coming up in October. That's a lot for System of a Down. Six shows, you know. That's well, that's, that, that's, yeah, a, that's a well, trek for them. And it's like every other year, 
it's just, it's this, at least Tool did a tour this time, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the same with those guys. But um, I've also, Future Work uh, is a band that I just started working for back in uh, 2017. And it was the manager of Kanye, Izzy, who uh, is no longer with Kanye, gave me a call and pulled me in. And it's a band called Arcade Fire. Wonderful. I live in New Orleans, uh, man. That's 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 where Wynn and Regine are. I, I, uh, absolutely. They're my neighbors. And, and again, as Wob said, you know, you were talking about air. Arcade Fire don't have backing tapes. They don't do Pro Tools. Everything is the old analog, uh, yeah. you know, kind of stuff. It's it's all old school stuff, and the music is unbelievable. I agree. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Them. I love that well, they think outside the box. Musically and production-wise, you know they're absolutely they're they're almost Bowie-esque in their in their approach. You know, it's it's cool. And a, a lot of Blondie and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, you know, but yeah. you've always got to have a mirror ball for them. <laughs> That's the one. Have a reflector. Yeah. You've got to have a mirror ball. Yeah. That's what they always ask for. But you know, there's a, a potential for that over the next couple of years coming up. They're good, just. Good, good. Uh, I believe they're just uh, about to release a new product. Nice. Wow. That's nice. that's what yeah. I'm looking at for the next couple of years. Cool. What about you, Bob? What, what are you what are you doing uh, other, well, other, than, other just, than the TPG? We know you're you're, you're well versed well, in the TPG. We're trying to keep that sort of. Um, <laughs> we don't want that to sort of fade into nothing when everyone goes back to work, um, and we're sort of taking a bit of a sabbatical over August, while everybody sort of sort of gets back into stuff i mean jason my co-chair is off with um uh, the black uh, black crows um uh, some of my committee i mean uh, rebecca's looking after the gorilla show which is tonight at the o2 so it's the first full show at the o2 back over here in london um and i've just started working uh with duran duran again oh fantastic um, i love duran duran <laughs> so yeah, we've got um, we've got some some promo work coming up. We've got the Isle of Wight Festival, um, and and then some shows uh, before Christmas. Nice, a couple of shows before Christmas, and then the, it's um, <clears throat> this year. What year is this? Uh, this is their fortieth anniversary. Wow. Um, this it's uh, yeah the, the anniversary is out this this year. So this is their fortieth anniversary year. Next year is the tour. Uh, it was obviously originally all supposed to happen this year because of uh, yeah, yeah. because of the COVID. It's all been put back a year, mm. but they've got. Um, um, I think they've got product coming out sometime before Christmas. Nice. Uh, and then the plan, the plan is to go into next year. Nice. Um, if I've blagged something there, I'm really sorry. But um, uh, uh, and if I'm not doing Duran, then then um, Mr. Smith is uh, oh, actually. Smith. Great. Um, he's he's a superstar. No, he's they, they are they are a superstar. They are. A he superstar. is incredible. Yeah. Uh, it's not Mr. Smith. It's uh, Sam. 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 Yeah, yeah. Is, <laughs> is is my old running mate Vince Foster still involved with Duran Duran? He certainly is. Oh, yeah. uh, we did uh, we did a show at the uh, the Apollo doing a streaming show. What a personality that um, guy has! You know, he is just he's an absolutely amazing guy. Uh, Vince Foster, lighting jostler, uh, was that was the phrase <laughs> phrase we used to use on Seal. Right, um, right. Way back in the uh, uh, there, there's there's a blast from the past as well. Vince and I met on Seal back in '81. 
Uh, well, Chris, you did some seal, didn't you? I did. I, so I, there's another overlap did. that uh, we missed. Yeah, I did. A, I did a, a, a year off and on with seal, doing some South American stuff and some European nice. stuff. Uh, I was Steve, his keyboard Steve. tech. I was his keyboard tech on his first tour. Oh, nice. Well, oh, God, those first two records are fucking genius. I love those two first, first records. <laughs> hey, so, you know, the industry, we're all kind of going. We t- I talked about this a bit on the, on the lead up to the podcast, but, uh, you know, we're, we kind of started back to work. Uh, yeah. And all of a sudden, it seems like we're not ready again. What do you, what, what do you guys have any predictions on, on, on what's going to happen, what we I, should do? You know what? I, 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 one could never predict the whole world shutting down in a week's period. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm more referring to that, you know, we started back working again and then Delta got in the way. What, what right. do you... But uh, the, 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 this is... This is um, uh, I, I'm going to be intrigued how to how America handles it because um, Delta kicked off in the UK and we've carried on opening up through it. Um, and um, the, on the on the basis that uh, if you're vaccinated, um, then um, then then it, it basically COVID is now endemic, and we have to start living with it as opposed to hiding from it. Agreed. Um, and unfortunately. Um, uh, and 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 a lot of people are still hiding from it, yeah. and a lot of the people who make the rules, because of legis- uh, uh, because of the the the, the risk of um, suing and all the rest of it, are having to hide on the back of it. Um, you know, the, the 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 litigation side of of opening up too quickly uh, and being taken to court for doing so yeah, um, yeah. is actually slowing down the whole the whole. Mm. The whole opening. We, we, we need to accept it. There's a new norm now, guys. There's just a exactly. new norm. Exactly. We need to learn you're you're, you're going to get a bad. You're going to get a bad. You've always had diseases where you could die. Yeah. Um, COVID is now another one. Um, but you can't. We can't hide from this for the, forever. I agree. Um, no, you know, agree. It's being I'm smart. Not. It's being smart. It's taking our experience that we have, that we've that we've nurtured and learned all these years, and redirecting it in slightly new direction yeah, you can get, we have new line assessment. items on the budget now we have other yeah. things we need to pay attention to it's our responsibility we need to just deal with this and get on with it that is just uh, uh, yeah you assess the risk and carry on i agree you know? i agree how, how many how many how many stupid performances have we done where you, it would be like you can't do that and you write a risk assessment for it and you do that right exactly. well we've got to exactly. do the same same with COVID. You, you write your risk assessment and you, you stick to your risk assessment and then you go and do your show. All right, before I let you go, Chris, I got a question for you. Are, are, are you, are, you know, getting back to the whole jealousy thing and Wob is highly decorated and he's been awarded many, many times, you know, tours of the year, production <laughs> manager of the year, all these things are, 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 are you? No, I'm not. You know what? Feel about? I'm not jealous uh, because I've come to the conclusion is if your last name isn't Barry or Giordano or Opie, you know, you're not going to get an award. <laughs> you know? I'll tell you this. And I, and this is, this no, is the, this is the God's truth. When I, when I toured, when I, whenever Chris used to, says he used to get jealous because everywhere he went, it was like, oh, are you, you Wob's brother? Well, when I finally started touring America, I, it was completely reversed. 
and 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 I don't know whether Chris knows this, but when when I started touring America, which is not that long ago, because Robbie spent Rob spent most of his time touring Europe yeah. and everywhere else on the planet, but we never went through America. Mm. But when I started turning up, sort of uh, through the, the 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 late two thousands and into twenty eleven uh, with Coldplay, uh, 2010-2011 with Coldplay, I'd walk into venues. And I would be able to say, I'm Chris Roberts' brother. And that was what brought me the respect. And I have never, ever been prouder of being his brother. Touche. Well, I'm, oh, so, I'm so glad I got you guys together. This has been incredibly I've got to say, that, that brought a tear to my glass eye. Uh, how fun. How fun. <laughs> hey, you know, the, well, the last time we saw each other, I think... Uh, One Direction at the stadium here in New Orleans. I think I stopped by and said hello to yep. you in the afternoon. I'm, I'm surprised you remember that because you were incredibly busy. You did your utmost best to look at me and, and, and be nice to me for a second, but it was just fucking mania. Absolute uh, fucking I, mania. So I, 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 there, there was, uh, when, we, when we went through uh, Phoenix, um, I had um, Springo and Jake come, uh, uh, and Opie come down as well, and, and they got the same treatment. So it wasn't just you. <laughs> oh, I know. I believe me. I, 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 I get it. I get it. I get it. Well, guys, thank you so much for doing this. What a fucking treat, you know. It's been a pleasure, Chris. You know, we could yeah, we could, we could do pleasure, a part yeah. two. Maybe we need to do a part we should. two. Next time, I'll do more talking than what. <laughs> <laughs> well, we would have been had more time to talk if it didn't take you so long to get on. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the hammer and nails, not keyboards. Okay. That's right. Hammer and nails, mate. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I'll be in touch. And uh, Absolutely. Thank you so much for doing this, guys. No, thank you very much indeed. Cheers, Chris. Cheers, Matt. And I love you, bro. Thanks, guys. Okay. Cheers. Thank you.